Good morning, everyone. Good to be here. Good to uh, be gathered together to worship the Lord. Um, thankful to be back. Uh, I was away a little bit this week, but heard the event yesterday in the park went really well. I'm really thankful for that. Thankful for all of you guys that have been praying, encouraging, inviting, and uh, helping to bring the gospel to more people. We have a few first-time visitors today. You guys are welcome here. We really appreciate having you with us. And uh, I'm thankful you're here. Um, today, I want to talk with you a little bit uh, about overcoming anxiety and overcoming fear through prayer. Um, I want to talk about moving from being fearful people to fearless people as we serve the Lord. And um, in order to do that, um, I, I want us to look at a few different texts from Scripture. Um, but first, let's talk, I want us to talk a little bit about the problem of fear and, and the need for courage um, among God's people today. Uh, then we're going to talk about the key to becoming courageous. Uh, what, what, do, what, what do we need to do in order to find real courage when we're afraid? How do we overcome our fears? And, and then finally, I want us at the end to talk a little bit about the, what the Bible shows us to be the source of all courage, um, the way to becoming courageous. So... Uh, it's important to talk about this because there, fear is a big problem in, in our culture and in our society and in our own lives. Um, isn't it true? You look around and we are a panic-stricken society. Um, we are fearful people. Uh, all you got to do is turn on the news and, uh, and you can see that we have a lot of things that we worry about. Or all you got to do is just listen to conversation on a day-by-day basis. Or, or just... Think about what's going on inside your head all day long, right? I mean, we are a fear-stricken people. And, 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 and it's, I've found that actually Christians, we often don't do much better at this than, than the world does. And so I think it's important for us to really consider this for a moment. Um, I remember when I was young, um, my parents, knowing that I was a fool, uh, would take me and sit me with older people and just leave me at their home and let me try to soak up some of their wisdom. They were hoping that somehow it would just kind of rub off on me. Um, and I learned a lot. I learned, a, I think, a lot of good things from spending time with older people. But one of the things that I noticed was that older people tend to worry a lot. Um, and that kind of shocked me, kind of struck me. You know, I would think, you know, well, if I grow up, I hope that I worry less. Um, but but I noticed that, that many older people do tend to worry a lot. Um, now, I realized later in life that uh, the reason older people worry a lot is because they know a lot. And the more you know about the world that you live in, the more there is to worry about, the more the bad things there are to think about. And, uh, and so there's a sense in which I used to think that young people were more fearless or more courageous um, than the older generation. But what I've realized now is that young, our, our youthful courage is really more of a delusional courage. It's a stupid courage. That's what it is. Um, have you guys seen on YouTube um, or on Facebook, these people post these little videos of uh, epic fails? Um, and you see these people trying to, young people trying to do these crazy things, and they always end in disaster, right? Um, and that's kind of the way we are. Uh, what I've realized is about young people is we're less cognizant of the dangers in the world, and, that, and so we tend to be, in some ways, more courageous. But it's a courageous uh, it, it's a courage that actually leads to our own downfall often or leads us to get us in trouble. Truth is, though, that even as I was reflecting this week on 
my time as a young person, as a teenager, and I feel like I'm still young, but uh, but I remember back when I was a young teenager um, that I was just as paralyzed by fear and anxiety as any older person I hung out with. Um, and the more I thought about this, you know, people who are young can be just as troubled by fear and anxiety as the elderly. We may even be courageous in some areas, but still be panic-stricken in others, paralyzed by fear in other areas. And, 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 and I, I think about when I was young, I was really afraid of, about when I was Zach's age, there was, some, there was a girl at school that I liked um, who made fun of me in front of the whole class for wearing tight jeans. And I didn't have any control over that. My mom bought all my clothes. And I didn't get to decide what I wore and all that. But today, if you wear tight jeans, that's a cool thing, right? But back then, everybody was wearing baggy jeans. And yet, I had these tight jeans that I had to wear. And I remember her making fun of me in front of me. I was devastated by that. I remember for, for probably two years just being afraid every time I went to school, what is somebody going to say about what I'm wearing? You know, how, They're going to make fun of me. They're going to say uh, how stupid I look. Um, Man, that, that stuck with me. I still remember that today. Um, I remember also, we're, sometimes we're afraid of how we sound. Uh, I remember the first time I preached in front of a group that recorded my lesson. And I got to listen to my voice. And I was horrified. <laughs> Who is that person talking? Uh, I sound much better in my head than I do on tape. I've noticed that. Um, you know, sometimes, we, and that's a big problem actually for preachers too. We often, we may not be as, you can tell today I'm not so concerned about how I look, but uh, sometimes we're very concerned about how we sound. Uh, oftentimes we're worried about what's going to happen to us. I think about this every time I take the subway, I'm reminded of one of those, there's always one of those news stories out there about somebody getting slashed on the subway or pushed on the tracks or something like that. And so I'm always like hugging against the wall, when I, you know, staying away from the, you know, it's, there's always something in life to worry about. Uh, maybe it's relationship problems. I remember it took me a while to find, uh, find somebody who would stay with me. Uh, so I remember often being worried about being single and uh, worried about staying single. And, uh, and then worried even, even when, I, when, when I thought I might have a relationship that was going to work out, worried about becoming single, you know? Um, and we do that a lot, right? Uh, technology hasn't helped us with this either. Sometimes we're, we're uh, you know, you're, you're getting a message and somebody sends you, that girl sends you a heart emoji and you're trying to figure out what, what does that heart emoji really mean? Or, or why isn't that guy following me on Instagram? Does he really not like me? Uh, and we tend to just worry about all these different things that are going on day by day. Uh, I remember when I first started um, dating Lindsay, we, had, we both had iPhones. And so you can tell like when somebody's messaging you or not. Um, and there'd be times uh, also when we message on Facebook or something and I'd send her a message and then it would say she's active now and she's not messaging me back. And I'm just like <laughs> struck by panic. You know, 10 minutes go by and I'm, I'm terrified of uh, maybe she's kidnapped, maybe something's happening. I remember when I was your age, Zach, at school, I was terrified of anyone in school finding out I was a Christian. For three years in high school, I went trying to do as much as I could to keep people from knowing that I was a Christian because I was terrified of what they think about me. And I also remember oftentimes in my life being stricken by fear because of my own sin, because of problems, guilt over sin, and fear of confessing sin to God and fear of confessing it to other people. Um, we are fearful people. And in fact, studies are showing that even though 
you know, when I was like 15 years ago, when I was uh, a teenager in school, um, even though fear was a big problem, then studies are showing that there's actually like a sharp increase in fear and anxiety and depression in recent years in America. Um, and people are trying to figure out why is this. You know, some people say it's the news. Um, today, you know, you don't have to turn on the TV to get news. You just get the updates on your phone like all the time. And you're just constantly being bombarded about bad things that are happening. Um, and the more you know about things, the more there is to worry about, right, in the world. It used to be the world was smaller, uh, and you didn't know as much about what was going on, as much about the bad things going on. Some people have pointed to technology as a big problem for this, uh, and that people are spending so much more time on their smartphones, um, and because we're spending so much time on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, uh, we're struggling with fear because of social comparison. That is, we spend so much time looking at other people's lives as they present them on their profiles that uh, it gives us endless opportunities for comparison. And they always look better than us, right? There's always somebody out there who looks like their life is so much better. Uh, whatever the reasons, we're in a world that's full of fear. It's driven by fear. And I want to suggest this. Our problem is not that we are afraid. It's that we're afraid of all the wrong things. Our problem is that we fear all the things that really, at the end of our lives, won't matter to us. And we're so consumed with those fears that we spend very little time thinking about the fear of God, which ought to matter to us and will matter for all eternity. Um, we need courage. We need the conviction, the courage to, that will lead us, and this is my definition of courage today, uh, that will lead us to choose to do what's right in the face of danger, in the face of opposition, in the face of resistance. Um, somebody said that, today stars, uh, that today's leaders are more like stars than heroes. Uh, it, today's leaders um, are, are like stars. They consult people before they speak. Um, heroes, though, consult their conscience. Um, stars are surrounded by crowds, but heroes often have to walk alone as they try to do what's right. In a, in a world like this, we're desperately in need of Christians, people of God who will stand up and be courageous uh, to do what is right, to shine like stars in the darkness around us. And we often think of courage as something that, you know, a few really important people need, like a few people on the front lines at war or maybe people uh, in high government positions, they need to be courageous. But I want to suggest to you today that actually... Every single one of us, at some point in our lives, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, at many points in our lives, we're going to need to act on heroic courage. Just to live the life that God wants you to live in this world takes heroic courage. And so we need to figure out where does this courage come from and how do we get it. I'll tell you this, churches have been destroyed for lack of courage. Families have been torn apart for lack of courage courage because people were stricken by fear and unable to do what needed to be done in the moment. Um, so uh, I'll tell you this, parents have ruined their kids because of lack of courage. Unwillingness to say to their kids what they needed to say, help their kids in the ways that they needed to say. So we need courage. Um, real quickly, I want to I think with you about two kinds of courage because our culture actually sees the need for courage too, but we often seek it, I think, in the wrong ways. There's two types of courage. You see them in Scripture. Um, one is uh, we'll call a defiant courage. 
a defiant courage. Um, this you could also describe this as maybe a delusional courage. It's a form of courage in which you seek to overcome fear by concentrating on yourself. Have you noticed this? This is kind of the way our culture teaches us to become courageous. Um, the power is in you. You can do it. You can accomplish this. You can do great things. Uh, in fact, um, positive affirmations can be very helpful, but also some positive affirmations are very much this way, where they'll say, we'll say to ourselves things like this, you know, don't think about the bad things that could happen. Think about only good things that happen. Those bad things, they won't happen if you just think about what is good, if you just think about the good. Um, and uh, you see this in the Bible. There were, there were some kings that had this syndrome. There was Pharaoh uh, in the ancient times said, who is the Lord that can deliver you out of my hand? He had no fear of God. His courage was all in his own strength. Uh, Sennacherib was another ancient king uh, who got his whole army destroyed because he said, what God could deliver you from my hand. These were people who had all their courage was rooted in themselves. And they found themselves uh, in trouble because of it. Here's the problem with that kind of courage. If you look to yourself to become courageous, if you look inward to find your courage, the problem is that eventually that's going to fail. Because the truth is bad things do happen. And you can't just think them away. It, it may work for a while. You may, you may have the strength. God may give you the strength to be able to do things that you think you're doing on your own ability and to be courageous in certain ways. That, I'm not saying that never works, but it won't work for, for, the, it won't work for the long haul. It won't work in the end. And so the Bible teaches us a different kind of courage. Um, it's on display in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with the story of Jehoshaphat. This is a, one of those weird parts of the Bible that we don't read uh, that often. I'm thankful that uh, some of you women were getting together and studying the book of Chronicles recently. But uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a story about this king, and he's got, a, he's got all of his enemies are coming up against him. Uh, people that the Israelites, this king of Judah, they had treated these nations well. And God had told them, don't hurt these nations when you go into the land. And then now the nations who had been treated well by them are coming against them and attacking them and trying to destroy them. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, the text says in verse 3, that Jehoshaphat was afraid. Here's a king, king of God's people, but he's stricken by fear. So what did he do? The text says that he turned his attention to seek the Lord. And I want to suggest this is what I would call, and you see all throughout the Bible, a dependent courage. A courage to turn to God and depend on Him. You know, one of the problems is that sometimes when we're afraid, we, we run everywhere but to the Lord. We run to all the wrong places to try to overcome our fears. Instead, Jehoshaphat calls the whole nation together and seeks the Lord in prayer. And listen to his prayer. Look at verse 5 and listen to what Jehoshaphat says. He says in uh, verse 6, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nation? Power and might are in your hand, so that no one can stand against you. Did you not know God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Skipping down um, to verse 10, he says, Now behold the sons of Ammon and Mount Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them. They did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from our possession, which you yourself have given to us as an inheritance. 
Listen to this, verse 12. Josh Pat's prayer. He says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You see this? That's a dependent courage. We are powerless against this great multitude, but our eyes are on you. And God answers his prayer in chapter 20 and verse 15. And he tells Jehoshaphat, he says, Don't fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. In verse 17, he says, uh, You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And you know what happens? The next day, Jehoshaphat courageously goes out to battle, knowing that there's no way he can win this fight, that God's going to have to win the battle. And you know what God does? They don't even fight. God turns the armies against themselves. They have infighting. They wipe out themselves. And Jehoshaphat and his army never even pick up a sword. The Lord delivers them because their eyes are on him. Notice this in chapter 20 and verse 30. I love this. Uh, the text says in, uh, that God, the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for God gave him rest on all sides. Now this is a very important thing that you need to remember. This text is telling us that peace, peace from fear, peace from anxiety, peace is not achieved. It is received. Peace is not achieved. It is received. That is, peace didn't come from Jehoshaphat's own strength, his own wisdom, his own power, his own greatness. It came from depending on God, turning his eyes on God, and God gave him peace. He gave him rest on all sides. So let's talk for a moment about the key to becoming courageous, because that's exactly what you see in this text. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see this all throughout the Old Testament. The Bible tells us over and over again that the way to overcome anxiety, the key to becoming courageous, is to learn to pray your fears. That's what the book of Psalms are all about. The majority of the Psalms are about the psalmist pouring out their heart to God and bringing their fears and their troubles to God and praying their fears. So I want to suggest that Learning to pray your fears is, is one of the most important things, one of the most important disciplines you can practice in order to learn to overcome fear. So how do we do this? And that's what I want to talk with you about for a few moments. I want to share with you uh, four texts. We're not going to spend much time on them, but I want to share them with you quickly from the New Testament that teach us a little bit about how to do this. First in Acts chapter 4, do you remember the disciples of Jesus, the ones who were closest to him? Do you remember when Jesus was arrested. What happened to all the disciples? The courageous guys who said, we'll go to war with you, we'll, we'll defend you till the end, ran away. The only ones that followed him, followed him at a distance, far enough away that they thought nobody would know they were actually his disciples. They were cowards. But then after Jesus dies and he's raised from the dead and he gives them the Holy Spirit, something about them totally changes. And one of the things that Luke points out in the book of Luke about Jesus, and then he pointed out all through the book of Acts about the disciples, is that they became courageous because they were constantly in prayer. They became courageous because they were constantly in prayer. Luke will note that all throughout the book of Acts that the disciples were praying. And I want you to notice this. In Acts chapter 4, it's the first time that the sword has come to them. They've been arrested. They've been in prison. They've been threatened with their life. And they just gotten released because they didn't really have anything to get them on. So they come out of prison. I want you to notice this. In Acts chapter 4, and look down at verse 23. When they, when they had been released, 
they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose were destined to occur. And now, O Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand and heal and sign the wonders take place in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the text says that when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God. You see that? They're being threatened. You know they're being tempted with fear. What do they do? They run to God and they run to God in prayer. And one of the things that this teaches, I want to point out four things about how we learn to pray our fears. The first one here in Acts chapter 4 is that we need to learn to pray our fears biblically. We need to let the Bible, the scriptures, teach us how to pray our fears. Did you notice that in this text? What are they praying? at the beginning of this prayer. They're praying about who God is, and then quickly their thoughts turn to Scripture. They let the Scriptures teach them how to pray. And I want to suggest this. One of the best things that I've done in prayer is letting the Bible teach me how to pray. Notice that they're reflecting on God. They're reflecting on God's Word. And then they start to reflect on their threats and say, God, take note of these threats. Realize what's going on here and grant us to be able to be courageous, to speak with boldness the word. And so they're praying their fears and receiving strength as they pray biblically. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, another thing that will help us in prayer, learning to pray our fears. 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, you probably know these verses well, uh, many of you, but the verse says in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you at the proper time. This is another verse, Cliff, that I have a hard time reading without singing. Uh, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then he says, verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The second thing I want you to notice, we need to pray our fears biblically. We also need to pray our fears humbly. Now this is something that was weird to me for a long time. It was really weird to me that he would say, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then he says, cast your anxieties on him. What does humility have to do with anxiety? How does humility help us to overcome anxiety? But that's exactly what Peter is saying here. And I want you to think about this. Sometimes, I've noticed this, maybe you've done this before, but sometimes um, we're thinking, well, you know what? I've tried reading the Bible, and I've tried praying about these things, and it hasn't helped at all. Uh, I, I memorize this verse about worrying. You know, I, I read it, I recite it, you know, two times a day. Did it for two weeks and it didn't do anything. Uh, and sometimes we kind of view the scriptures like a, like a pill. You know, if you just take it, remember it twice a day, um, you know, for two weeks, hope your symptoms should be gone by the end of it. And then if it's, then if it's not, well, i got to go try another verse and, and do that. But I want to suggest this. The, the Bible is not a self-help book meant to quickly resolve your symptoms. It's not the way the Bible is written. 
It's not, some, it's not meant to provide immediate symptom relief. That's not how it works. Peter tells us that it takes more than just praying scripturally. It takes praying humbly your fears to God. And I want you to think about this. Sometimes when we pray, sometimes when we pray, we come into God's presence, but we come into God's presence with a sense of entitlement. It's like, well, let me pray my, pray my anxieties to God, and God, you need to do something about this. God, you need to fix this. God, you need to take care of this. Why aren't you doing this? And it's almost like we feel like we deserve for God to just do what we want, when we want, whenever we want, answer our prayers how we want, at the moment. I want to suggest this. God is not a God to be approached that way. Our God is a holy God. Our God is an awesome God. And one of the things that will help you in prayer, one of the things that's helped me, I was doing this yesterday as I was on the airplane, because I'm afraid of heights and always afraid when I fly. But, uh, but one of the things that's helpful is I need to remember uh, that when I'm praying, you are God and I am not. You owe me nothing. I deserve nothing. And all that you've given me is only because of your grace. What's tell you? Learning to pray that way will change your attitude towards your fears. Casting your cares upon Him while humbling yourself before God. It may sound simple, but it changes everything. We go to God admitting that He's God and we are not. And then we take our anxieties to Him and trust that He, our loving Heavenly Father, will provide for us as we need. Look at Philippians chapter 4 real quick, the text that Cliff read for us. And I just want to point out one thing from this text for the sake of time. Philippians chapter 4. Notice what... Paul says there about how to overcome anxiety. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you notice this? We need to pray biblically. We need to pray humbly. But we also need to pray thankfully. And for a long time, this is another one of those passages that didn't really make sense to me. Why? If I'm in trouble, I need to pray my requests. I don't need to pray Thanksgiving at this time. This is a time where God needs to answer prayers, not be thanked for answering things in the past. But actually, Paul says that part of the cure for anxiety is learning to pray with Thanksgiving. And I want you to think about this. I saw this in Psalm 98. Oftentimes, the Psalms are recounting the good things that God has done. I want to suggest this. That really the food that will nourish your faith and turn you from a fearful person into a fearless servant of God. The food that will nourish your faith is the, is the faithfulness of God. And we need to be doing that in prayer. Prayer ought to be a time, all throughout the Psalms you see this, in which we are recounting the faithfulness of God. That's what Thanksgiving is. It's remembering God did this, and then he did this, and God did this throughout history, and he's delivered his people in the past. And he's and remember that last time I was afraid? He delivered me from that fear too, and he's taken care of me through this. And even though it didn't turn out the way I thought it would, the Lord still had my hand in all that. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. And we need to learn to pray with Thanksgiving. Notice too, uh, he says in verse 9, uh, or in verse 8, that whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's a good report, Whatever is uh, excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That is, I should be spending more time dwelling on the faithfulness of God than the, the things that make me afraid all around. 
But think about this. This isn't, this isn't what we do often, right? We spend our days, you know, reading the news. We spend our days, you know, on Facebook seeing all the negative, terrible things that people post on there. Um, and we fill our minds with those things. And then we wonder why we're struggling so much with fear when really we haven't taken any time to just reflect and be thankful to God. You see, the, Paul's telling us here that learning to feed your faith with the faithfulness of God through thanksgiving will help you in prayer to draw near to God. Uh, lastly, James chapter 4 and 5. And I'm just going to summarize some of this. And uh, In James chapter 4, at the beginning of the text, he says, You do not have because you do not ask. And isn't that true sometimes? Sometimes we, we, we don't have peace because we're not asking God for peace. We're trying to achieve it rather than, than seeking that God would give it to us, that, that we could receive it from his hand. Um, not only that, sometimes maybe you're saying, well, I've been asking for peace for years. I've been asking for uh, a cure for my anxiety for a long time. But he goes on to say, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And isn't this sometimes our problem too? Sometimes we're asking, but really we want peace from God, not so that we can live our lives to magnify Him. We want peace from God just so we can live our lives and, have, and enjoy it and live it for ourselves. And we wonder why God's not answering our prayers. It says you're asking not so that you can uh, honor me, but so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. And he goes on to say God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Your asking is not out of humility, but it's out of pride. A sense of entitlement, a sense of deserving something. James chapter 5, he goes on to say, uh, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Some of you may be here today, and, and the source of your anxiety is really, it's really a sin problem. We may have people in, in, in our midst today that are feeling guilty over sin. And the reason you're struggling so much is because you haven't confessed that sin. You haven't prayed about that God would deliver you from your sin, that God would forgive you. You haven't turned to Him. And I just want to say, that for if you're in that situation, the solution the solution's still the same. Turn to God, confess your sins to others who will help you to pray, that, pray your sins to God and receive the healing that only He can give. Instead of hiding your sin. Maybe for you it's time to have the courage to open up to God, confess your sins to God, confess your sins to others so that you can pray with them that God would deliver you and heal you through the word of his grace. I hope that's helpful. Pray biblically. Pray humbly. Pray thankfully. And James 4, pray penitently. That is, pray with a penitent heart, a heart that's seeking to purify itself before God, not to get things from God, but to learn to glorify God. Um, finally, Let's talk for a moment about the source of all courage. You know, the truth is that if we want to overcome fears, the best place to look is to our Savior. The best place to look is to Jesus. Um, and the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 12 that since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we need to lay aside every encumbrance. That would include fear and anxiety. And we need to run the race Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I want you to think about this. The way we overcome fear, the way we become courageous, is we look to our courageous hero. Our fearless leader, Jesus Christ. In fact, my text there says the author and, perfect and uh, perfecter of our faith. 
Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Maybe your translation there says the leader. Some translations there actually say the pioneer. Um, and a few translations actually say their champion. And I just wanted to point this out because this is really cool. Uh, the word that's translated here, leader or author or champion, is the same word that is used often in Greek literature in reference to the great hero Hercules. They would speak of Hercules as their champion, their pioneer, their author, their leader, the one who led the way. You know, Jesus is our hero. And, and yet he's no ordinary hero. Think about this. What makes a hero a hero? What makes a superhero great? How do people become heroes? Do you remember Peter Parker? He was just an ordinary kid from Queens, right? And then he got bit by a spider or something, and all of a sudden he could do crazy things, right? Heroes become great when they get power. And Jesus has all power, right? But what's different about Jesus is he, Jesus didn't become great by having all power. He was already great. He had all power. But what proved to Jesus the depth of his great, proved to us the depth of his greatness was actually not when he held on to his power, it was when he let go. Think about this. He who had all power became powerless and came down here and lived the life of an ordinary person. Most of our heroes become great when we see them take hold of power. Jesus let go of all his power to come down here and live as a man. And I just want you to think about this. It's not as if Jesus never struggled with any fear on earth. What do you see in the garden? Do you see a defiant Jesus in the garden uh, saying, praying, I can do this, I know I can. Do you see Jesus uh, praying, come on cup, I can't wait to drink this. Is that what Jesus prayed in the garden? No. He prayed, Father, let this cup pass for me. My soul sorrowful, even to death. He was sweating blood. He's human. He's afraid. But what does Hebrews 12 tell us? That he looked at something that enabled him to, to endure the cross in spite of all his fears. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him ran the race. Enduring the cross, despising the shame. I want you to think about this. When Jesus was in heaven and the question was asked, should you go down? Should you leave heaven and go down to earth? Should you become more mortal and vulnerable? Should you go through the suffering? Should you, should you handle or experience this extreme pain and go to the cross? What led Jesus to give up heaven and come here? What was the joy that was set before him? He already had the relationship with his father. He was already pleasing the father. What, what, what did Jesus not have in heaven that he could only have on the other side of the cross? And you know the answer? The answer is us. It was the joy of loving us. The joy of redeeming us from our sin. The joy of setting us free from all our fears. That led Jesus to give up heaven and come down here and suffer and die. He found something that made him courageous in spite of all his fears. His eyes were on the joy of loving us. Isn't that what John says? That perfect love casts out fear. And you see, this is how we become fearless for God. This is how we move from being fear-filled people to, to being a fearless people. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, we'll end with this thought. The apostles have been in prison. They've been flogged. They've been threatened to be killed. And yet they went on their way rejoicing. Do you want to know why? The Bible tells us in chapter 5, verse 41, they went on their way rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. You see it? 
their eyes were on the man. Their eyes were fixed on Jesus. And because they had seen his great love for them on the cross, they were radically transformed from cowards into courageous servants of God. If we'll humbly take our eyes off of ourselves, stop looking inward to find courage, and look beyond ourselves, turn our eyes upon the Lord, and learn to humbly, thankfully, biblically, pray our fears. We'll find in Him the courage to do what's right and to live fearlessly. Hope that's helpful to you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if there's anything we can do to help you become one, we want to do that today. If you're here today and you've been overwhelmed by fear, come talk to us. This is, by, this is clearly not an exhaustive discussion about anxiety. There's much more to say, and this is a complex subject. But talk to us. We, we'd love to talk more about this. We'd love to help you anyway. God bless you.